Hey, and welcome back to the Pulse Check podcast, language in healthcare, unless you've been the patient yourself, or unless you've been a patient or recently experienced healthcare from the patient's side, the phrases and the tone that we use is normal and regular and common and no big deal to many, I would say most healthcare professionals, but we want to talk about what it's like on the other side of hearing some of the phrases that we use and some of the language that we use. So I am Mandy and hey, he, he. Hello, what's up? Hey, hey, good to see you. This episode started with a very heated text message that I got from he, he recently. And we saved it till today because it's really interesting. It's really unique to be able to talk from the healthcare side and the non-healthcare side about healthcare or about medicine or about hospitals and facilities. I think that's a really unique thing that Pulse Check Podcast has got going on. And I think this can be really helpful for patients, clients, consumers, and also very helpful for nurses, providers, professionals in healthcare, because we don't often stop and get this perspective, our patients don't often give us this perspective because they are our patients and we have kind of, we have a power dynamic going on. And so they're not really relating to what language is doing to them and for them in the moment. And so we don't really get that feedback. So here's some feedback and I do have a cold, so I'm going to mute a little bit and be like, I've got like all my things over here ready, but I really want to hear what happened that made you want to bring up again from like episode 19, we just did an episode on language and healthcare. What happened that made you want to talk about this again? Yeah. So I think the first thing to talk about, the point out of the difference between this episode and episode 19 is this one, I would like to talk about specifically infantilization of clients. And this is the act of treating an adult like a child, even though that adult doesn't have any mental, physical, social, or intellectual requirements to be treated as such. And this is something that I think just like you said, it is the norm. It's the culture. It's passed down from provider to provider. It's just how medical professionals are taught to speak. And so I think a lot of it is actually said with love and compassion, never thinking about how those words actually hit your client. And so that heated Texas that you got came at about like 1 a.m. in the morning because I had just left a birth. And I was just beside myself, to be completely honest. The birth was wonderful. It was a beautiful birth. And the providers were really great. But along the way, somewhere during pushing, we had been pushing for only 30 minutes. This was a second time parent. And her first baby was born in about 20 to 25 minutes. And so this provider came in after only 30 minutes of pushing, which I know everyone out there is like, what? That's so crazy. I too thought it was really insane. And she threatened the C-section talk and, and, and she did it in a really nice way. And she said, look, I'm not calling it yet, but I just want you to know that you're taking longer than your first baby. We have surpassed your first pushing time. And that's very unusual for a second time baby. Mind you, we knew the baby was asynclitic. We knew that we were probably looking at a little bit of a longer push time. And this provider still felt the need to use the, you know, the threat of the C-session talk, no matter whether she did it nice or not, we still had the conversation. That doctor left about eight minutes later, she comes back in. I had gotten this patient, this client up, right? And she was now pushing not on her back, but in squatted position. And the baby had moved down beautifully enough for us to need to call the doctor back. So she comes back in and she's like, oh my gosh, what happened? And I said, yeah, you left. And I, I just got her up and here comes the baby. Like, 
let's have a baby. That doctor then turns to this patient and says, it just took a little bit of a C-section talk, just like when I threatened my toddler with a time out. And I could not believe my eyes. I was so caught off guard. This woman is 36 years old and you not only admitted that you just treated her like a toddler, but you are almost praising yourself that it was your words and your actions and this conversation of threatening a C-section that in fact got this baby to come down when we know everyone in the room, the doctor had left, but the nurse, I know the partner knows this birthing person. We all know it wasn't that. We all know it was a position change. A second nurse that was in the room since the baby was being born, we had some additional people come in. One of the nurses joked as well. And she was like, it always works with my toddler. Isn't that funny? And it was just so rude. It's just, it's incredible to me that medical professionals, it is such the norm to dumb down things for your patients. And I think that for me, I just want to challenge everyone to think about two different aspects. A, how do you think that feels to your patient? And B, where is this belief coming from? Do you think your patients aren't smart enough to understand what's going on? Do you think that if you dumb things down to a very basic level that it will lessen their trauma? Do you believe that infantilizing language is part of trauma-informed care. Maybe you have that misconception. Being a trauma-informed provider does not mean treating your patient like a small child. These people are smart. They're adults. They, they have the mental capacity to understand what's going on to them and with them and with their bodies and with their babies. And for medical professionals to dumb it down it actually comes across as really rude and demeaning, right? And I know, I know everyone out there is like, oh my God, I would never want my patient to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Me too. I never want any of my clients to feel this way. And so I think that's where this discussion kind of came to head is I just want to talk it out and say, if this is you in the patient room, we got to stop. We have to figure out a different way that you can deliver sensitive, compassionate, trauma-informed care in a way that is not demeaning and belittling and indicative that you don't believe this patient is smart enough or has the ability to understand what goes on. And this is quite a nuanced conversation. It really is. That isn't how you told me the story the first time. You were very nice about it this time because the provider coming in and saying, wow, it's been 30 minutes. I'm not calling a section now. I'm going to let you keep pushing is what you said. I'm going to let you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you. That's kind of what I got out when you told me the first time. And that's not nice. And who the fuck cares if it's nice? Also, like, you're not their parent. This is a grown adult. You don't yeah. let your patient do anything, guys. We don't. You're there as a support system for this patient and client. You are there to help them achieve their goals in whatever way is best for them. Of course, keeping them safe. But to allow someone, I'm going to let you keep pushing. How about, no, I'm 36 and bitch, I'm going to keep pushing. Right. This wasn't a request. We didn't ask for this. This is a really unique part of healthcare and inside the medical industrial system is a lot of labor and birth folks are not sick. They're mm. not there to request like life-saving medical treatment. However, the language is very similar to sick places in the hospital where 
it feels like, or it's insinuated that everyone is being saved. <laughs> They're not being saved. The provider went in and said, I'm going to be the nice guy and save you from the C-section. They're the actual ones that are saying C-section after 30 minutes of pushing, which if the listeners aren't in the birth world, um, that's a very, very short time. We're talking like three hours of two to three hours since this person had had a baby before. So two to three hours, two hours would be like, oh, wow, this is a long time. What's going on? We would think there was a problem. And that language of like, we're here to save you. We're here to save your life. It's made up. It's created, you know, like, is this baby asynclitic because of something that we did? Is this baby asynclitic? One, how do we know? That means we've gotten some interventional cervical exams and like mapping with our hands internally. And so now are we concerned of the time frame because of what we've done? Are we concerned that there would be an infection, which there wouldn't have been if we hadn't been in there potentially doing all of those internal exams, trying to figure out how long it's going to take, trying to identify when they're going to have this baby, trying to measure it against all the other things going on in the unit, which is all made up because it wouldn't happen like that if they weren't in a hospital unit with other patients going on and like limited amount of staff and physicians and things like that. And then did we cause asynclitism because we ruptured membranes earlier than they would have broken on their own? The fact that she's not pushing with her membranes intact kind of says to me, where is the baby even in the pelvis? Not like I need to know that, but I'm curious, is the baby even low to be pushing? Okay. So this person's had a baby before they can probably push out an asynclitic baby, but to come in and be like, oh, I'm going to be the nice guy and not tell you, you have to C-section. So now you're saying that you chose to like me enough to only threaten a C-section, but not call a C-section. Like you're showing your colors by being so subjective. You're not making an objective recommendation say it's time. You know, I want to talk to you about this, but it's not like required. Let's just see where you're at. What do you, how do you feel? There's none of that. Like let's come together. And she disclosed that she knew it was a threat and she's practiced threatening others, which even if, even if this is infantilizing, it's showing how you parent. Like that's not how you parent (laughs) threaten a timeout to get someone to do what you want. Like, obviously you're not practiced at explaining and exploring and getting curious and like listening to your child. If your child's like, no, I'm playing with this. Okay. We have to eat dinner. Okay. We have to come to an agreement, not like go to timeout until you're going to mind me, go to timeout until you're going to behave. It's like authoritarian parenting. It's very like, I'm the dictator, you're the peasant and you do what I say. It was so bizarre to me how this provider positioned herself as the hero. She came back in and said, oh, looks like my little C-section threat worked and this baby listened. No, ma'am, that baby can't hear you in there. And you didn't just scare this woman into pushing her baby out like that. And if, if you truly understand what fear does to the birth process, you probably would have never made that threat in the first place because you know fear doesn't work in birth like that. That's not how this works. You don't fear people into birthing their baby. And you certainly don't do it in a way that demeans them. It was just 
look, I left that birth and I needed like a couple hours. I didn't go to bed until like 4 a.m. that that morning because I just needed a couple hours to sit and think and process it and really truly dissect the words and the interactions. And I wanted to make sure that I was really coming to it in an unbiased way. And that's why I'm very quick to semi-defend this provider. I don't think she did it in a malicious way. I truly do think that she did it out of compassion. And I truly do believe that she thinks she got that baby out. (laughs) This mother's story is going to be It was so odd. Like I had to push a little longer for the second one. And we were kind of trying to figure that out. But then the doctor came in and said, you have to have a C-section if you don't X, Y, Z. And my doula or my nurse or my partner, like I had to find something inside of me because I was terrified of having a C-section because that's so like unpredictable. What an unpredictable tone to set in the room to say, at any moment, I could just pull this. Yeah, You want to be done? Or if I think you're done, or I don't think the baby's moving. Instead of what we really want, which was that patient to leave thinking, I am a bad bitch. And in the face of adversity, I had to push harder and longer than I ever thought I would need to. And I did it. And I pulled out something from deep inside of me. And I wanted to meet my baby and I knew I could do it. And sometimes I didn't. And the people around me knew I could do it. And then I did it. That's what we want people to leave feeling like and remembering for the rest of their lives. And that's the story we want them to tell their baby. Be like you and me. We had to work hard together. It took an hour. While your sister took 20 minutes, right? Your sister flew out, which 20 minutes is still a lot of hard fucking work to push a human out. Yeah, And it's like scary. And like, Oh, you just don't know what it's going to turn into. But like, she had to sit with her feelings about that. She had some feelings about that. No doubt. Who who knows what they are. She had this internal thing going on that had nothing to do with us. But then we healthcare has to come in and like add our own shit to it and then take the credit. Like, come on. If we want people to feel like they are empowered to take their family back to the doctor, to go get preventative health care, to have these like healing and uplifting and empowering and confident stories around their family and their experience and how their family was born, why would you come in and say, so glad I'm here so I could kick your ass into having this baby. Mm, I would love to hear listeners give examples of what comes to mind because I know not everyone is in birth space, but I want to hear some norms of like things that are said because a lot of what nursing is, is teaching, educating, and empowering someone to be the agent of their own health. So like you don't go into the hospital and that's the only time that you want to be healthy or get better. Like that's an everyday task. So the whole point is to like set someone up to be healthy on discharge and not come back. Long-term health, right? Right. So right. another place that we see this in the, the parent baby space is especially in labor and delivery, the phrase, your baby doesn't like this 
why don't you just tell me what's going on? What do you mean my baby doesn't like this? Tell me what you're seeing. Hey, your baby's heart rate has not bounced back from the last three contractions and it's concerning to me. Hey, your baby is reacting to this position in a way X, Y, and Z, and it makes me feel concerned. We need to get you up. We need to get you in a different position. We need to get you on hands and knees. We need you to lay back. You can explain to patients what's going on in their body and their life and their situation in this moment in time without treating them like a toddler, like these providers did. Another example of this, not in the LNG space, is I received a call a couple weeks ago from a friend whose grandfather had been in the ER and she was calling because she knew that I played a role of a patient advocate and she was just trying to get some advice on how to move forward with this. But They sent this man home without expectations or understanding of what had happened to him other than your bladder is a little angry. And so when I went to ask more questions about like, what do we mean by angry? What's angry mean? (laughs) And she was like, I have no idea. Grandfather. And I was like, how old's your grandfather? She was like 73. So not like 99 where we think his mind might be something like, how is your grandfather's mental state? And she was like, hundred percent. He, he like, he's a hundred percent there. So that provider had no reason to tell him that his bladder was angry. He should have actually given your grandfather some information. And she was like, yeah, hundred percent. And now we're all thinking like, what the heck is going on? We don't even know what's going on. turns out that man had prostate cancer. And two weeks later, he actually needed to have his prostate removed. Think about the coping that he could have done for 14 days if somebody had just been upfront with a 73-year-old man to say, hey, your 73 prostate cancer is abundant. It happens to a ton of people. You've lived a long life. We have found it. It's a simple surgery. I want to let you know now, but it is something we want to act on. So sometime in the next few weeks, we need to get you back in the office and get this out of you. That would have been so much better than to say, yo, your bladder's angry. What? (laughs) Well, what do I do to make it not angry in the future? That's super weird. Super weird. And we see it all the time in the birth space because like parents can't understand. We don't want to worry anyone. I think that's a thing. Yeah. That's a very saviorist, like white supremacy savior ideal that is perpetuated in the healthcare space ongoing that we can stop. Like that, now that you know, we need to stop that. We don't save people from themselves. We don't save people from harm. We don't save people from anything. We, like you said, we're the support team. We're here. We're here with you. Here's the information we have. What information do you need? We we save people in so many ways, especially in that birth story of like, good thing you came here and didn't have your baby at home. Even though everything that happened was caused by us. Was created, right. That's a whole other conversation. But yes, I think in uh, reproductive language, that is super common. So I don't know if it's like better, but at least it also happens to men. And it also happens in other parts of healthcare that we can't give the accurate information. And it's not that we don't know it. We know it. Healthcare professionals know what's going on. We don't want to like burden someone, make someone scared, upset them. We're afraid of their reaction. We don't want to worsen things by scaring them. 
But I always teach in my classes, our information is not for us. That is the patient's information. If we know something about their body, health systems, prognosis, that's for them to have. That's something that they need to be able to make future decisions. And for you as a healthcare person to hold space for them to ask questions, right? So you have the opportunity to present them with the information. Do not dumb it down for them. Give it to them straight. And if they don't understand, they will ask questions. If they look confused, why don't you say, did everything I say make sense to you? Do you have any questions about any of the language or the diagnosis that we have found? Do you have any questions about what just happened? I know that was really intense when Dr. Jones was in here. Do you have any questions about what happened, about what we saw, about what she was doing, about what he said to you? There is a way to deliver sensitive care and not treat your patients like they are small humans. We insinuated that this might have long-term effects at the beginning of this podcast. And I hope that you're kind of, I don't know, I don't hope that your mind is reeling, but I know that you're probably coming up with some examples. We want to give you confidence and encouragement that you can make these little changes in your own practice, starting immediately, considering the silly things that we say to patients. Like we don't have to say that just because that's the norm or it feels easier because that's not really our role. Our role is not to provide healthcare. That's easy for us. What does dumbing stuff down or infantilizing the consumer do to our storytelling and culture around healthcare? Because like that man went home and said, I had an angry bladder and without question, that's going to be the story that people hear about what happened to him. And so We hear that in birth space all the time. And that is something that I want to dig into. We hear that non-factual accounts of like blood pressures, sugars, um, and like angry bladder or a baby didn't like that. And then I say, okay, well, what happened in your last birth or what was this? What was the cause of this? Oh, well, they just said that the baby didn't like it. And then the baby wasn't tolerating it. And then that's all I knew. And it was like, a placenta issue, or it was like a genetic issue, or it had something that could affect the next pregnancy. I'm like, well, that's our responsibility to make sure it's really clear because then the stories that we pass on really vague, (laughs) it doesn't imply you should be asking questions and getting really clear about your own body because you're in charge of it. And having the correct information is going to be the most helpful for you moving forward. It's like, just accepting these like little bitties here and there as like, oh, my bladder is angry. Well, it actually further perpetuates this idea of like how scary and unpredictable birth is, right? Because if, if everybody, you know, had a C-section because their baby didn't tolerate it or because baby didn't like it and you get into your birth and your provider says, well, your baby doesn't like this. Instead of you knowing that you can ask questions or instead of you knowing that the resolution for a lot of baby fetal funky heart tones is to get on your hands and knees or to get up, don't be on your back, right? you then are like, well, this is something that is pretty common in labor. Babies don't like it. And all my friends have been cut open with the C-section. So I understand that makes sense to me where you could actually avoid a major abdominal surgery for yourself. If you had just been able to identify infantilization of yourself, if you had just been able to identify the kind of ominous, like 
vague language of baby doesn't like this, if you had only known what questions to ask or what other options you had in that moment, it, it really perpetuates it and it hurts it hurts us. It hurts our patients. It hurts our patients' relationship with healthcare. It hurts our patients' trust in healthcare. Our stats in birth are already horrible. We are so far behind so many other countries that we should really be beating. And this all plays into it, right? It all plays into how kind of terrible our birth culture is here in America. And, and it's just very coercive and, and infantilization of patients plays a huge role in that, in my personal opinion. Yeah. And in healthcare in general, it's perpetuating that top-down model that like only doctors, only professionals can know what an angry bladder means. Yes. We must not be able to understand. We must not need that information, but that's not really true. And that's not what most healthcare professionals think. It's just so backwards. So, okay. So if you are a pregnant person listening and you are wondering like, where are some resources that I can help identify infantilization of myself or know what my resolutions are, know what my options are, check out the birth lounge, the birthlounge.com. It is a membership for pregnant people to help you navigate the hospital system and recognize the downfalls of the medical industrial system where you can actually take back the control. And then if you are a medical professional thinking like, oh no, how am I supposed to like learn if I'm doing this myself? Cause <laughs> I work in the birth space. Mandy, you teach the trauma-informed birth nurse. Tell us about that program. Yeah, that's what we're doing with labor and delivery nurses and yeah. students, new grads. The trauma-informed birth nurse program is trauma-informed care foundation for nurses. So that you can identify, oh my gosh, I don't want to be doing this either, but like, I don't have any other examples. Nothing is modeled for me. Mm. How do I learn the language? How do I learn how to chart? You guys, it, it really does start on an individual level. It starts with you being the only person on your unit that doesn't use infantilization and you starting to very kindly talk to your colleagues about how the language they're using is impacting people. It starts with you on an individual level as a consumer in your prenatal saying, hey, that language actually makes me feel as if you don't think that I have the intelligence to understand. I would really appreciate it if you just gave it to me straight. And if I have questions, I promise you, I will ask. It starts on an individual level. You as the nurse, you as the provider, you as the consumer, we've got to start taking action now so that we can hopefully tear down the healthcare system that we have and rebuild it a little bit better. Because what we have right now, it's just not working. And I think, I think we all know that. Thanks for your stories today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for letting me share you guys. All right. This is all we have for you today. Infantilization of patients. It's harmful. It's harmful for you as the consumer. It's harmful for you as a nurse and the provider. It really, really, really just causes a lot of mistrust in the healthcare field, in the healthcare industry by patients. It feels demeaning and I'm challenging everyone after this conversation. If you're in a healthcare system, stop infantilization, <laughs> stop, stop infantilizing your patients. And if you are a patient in the healthcare system, 
call it out when you see it and just explain to your, your provider that you feel confident in your intelligence. And if you have questions, reassure them that you will ask and you, you promise to keep that open line of communication. I don't think any of this is malicious or comes from ill intent, but I do think it's very harmful and it's something that's kind of behind the scenes and it's got to probably come to a pretty quick stop if we're going to help our healthcare system get better. Yeah. Right? It's super disrespectful. Yeah. It's, disrespectful. it's just rude. It's just rude. It really just is. Or patients can talk about it later. If they can't talk about it at that time, that's really difficult to do. They can also tell other folks in the community that that was their experience. They can also try to get another provider. Yeah. Send it in your portal. You guys, you can write an email and just say like, Hey, after our meeting today, after my prenatal today, after my, you know, appointment with you today, I felt some things and I wanted to share it with you. That's not going to be right for everybody to have that conversation. And we see you if that is not your, your space. And to be completely honest, it's not on you. That's not on you to keep the healthcare system accountable. They should be doing that anyway. That's their job is to give you unbiased care without making you feel as if you are a toddler. Yeah, for sure. Thanks y'all for listening. We'll see you next time on the Pulse Check Podcast. Bye. Bye, y'all.